Hello and welcome to a brand new edition of Frightening Night Fright with me, your host, your Polly King of the Serenong Serengeti, Ian Austin. And boy, we're in for a treat this week because this week's episode deals with everyone's favourite new streaming app, Disney Plus. I know what you're going to say horror, Disney. Oi, babe, but let me warn you. There is horror stuff on Disney Plus app. Will I cover it this week? I don't know. Possibly. Why I'm going to cover this week, firstly, is going to be a little movie called Oz, The Great and Powerful, directed by Sam Raimi, who is both great and powerful. Where is where I'll be covering? A plethora of Disney Plus fun. What exactly would that entail? I don't know. I might discuss one of my scripts. I don't know. But I'm letting you guys know I'm back. I'm informed. Coronavirus is here, but Disney Plus is also here. Disney Plus is going to save us from all this nonsense. And for the next half an hour or however long this podcast ends up being, you'll hear my dulcet tones. I'm under lockdown because the UK's under lockdown, except for work because I have to work. But when not working, I'll be at home. And when not at home and not working and not avoiding doing this podcast, I'll do this podcast. So we've got a great episode packed for you today. And before you start, I do recommend. Jumping on Disney Plus straight away. You not only get The Mandalorian, which is amazing, but you also get so much stuff. So much Disney stuff. And Disney, Disney is key. Disney, 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 Disney. Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse is a great mouse. He's a great man. Walt Disney, great man. Not not sympathizer, not sympathizer. Was not frozen. Was not frozen. Was not racist. Was not homophobic. Was not prejudiced. Was not sexist. Great man, great man. Great Pixar, Pixar, Pixar movies. Disney, 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 Marvel, Star Wars, LucasArts, Star Wars, the Star Wars, the Star Wars, the Star Wars. And the Ewoks on Disney Plus, who knows? The Star Wars, the Star Wars, the Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, 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 Wars. Chewbacca, Chewbacca is a Wookiee who lives on the planet. Kashyyyk does not live on end of Star Wars. I'll be back after a brief word from our Star Wars. The past, the present, the future. This is Friday Night's Fright. What the planet is listening to. So first up on Disney Plus is Oz the Great and Powerful. Directed by Sam Raimi, starring James Franco, Miller Kunis, Michelle Williams, and Rachel Wise, with supporting roles from Zach Braff, Tony Cox, Spear Cobb, Bruce Campbell, and probably some other people I'm forgetting. Okay, I'm just going to say this from get go. I'm a Sam Raimi fanboy. I'm absolutely an African people word, a Sam Raimi fanboy. I think he is one of the best directors on the planet Earth, even though he doesn't direct that much anymore. I love Evil Dead. I think the Evil Dead trilogy is pretty much a brilliant personification of horror at its best because it manages to transcend the mere facets of horror genre and actually elevating love ways, but also at the same time have a schoolish sense of glee to it. Sam Raimi is clearly someone who loves schlocky horror movies and managed to make three of the best schlocky horror movies ever made. Evil Dead, the original, might suffer from the occasional bit of wooden acting, but as an experience, as atmosphere, as creativity, as imagination, as inspiration goes, an invasion is one of the best horror movies ever made. He followed up with Evil Dead 2 a few years later, which 
is possibly the funniest horror movie I've ever made. I know people love Shaun of the Dead. They're welcome to. I know people love Brain Dead. They're welcome to. Shaun of the Dead and Brain Dead. Brain Dead, of course, being Pete Jackson's movie known as Dead or Alive, Dead Alive I think, in some places. Again, brilliant, brilliant horror movie. I love Bitful and Lawnmares. But I still say Evil Dead 2 is a crowning masterpiece of horror comedies. And then he went and topped that in some ways by making Army of Darkness, Evil Dead 3, years after that, which is, again, like, he managed to make his own fantasy movie. And it's just brilliant. In his own way, it's brilliant. Both the normal version and director's cut. Sam Raimi managed to make a stunning trilogy of movies which are rather amazingly barely connected, except for the main character of Ash, and even then it's only tangibly connected, given they had to reshoot the openings of all movies for license issues. The cliffhangers had to be reshot. And I'd argue Evil Dead's one of the best trilogies of all time. Maybe even best for sheer consistency, because stuff like the Chris Nolan Batman movies, I feel like Batman, they peak with first one, Whereas with these, you could argue, you could make point that the second one's the best of all three, but at the same time, I would correctly point out you're comparing three completely different movies which are seek beyond their wildest imaginations and your wildest imaginations, and they're all excellent, like in their own ways. It just depends on which particular genre, subgenre of horror you prefer most, as which one you enjoy most. Of course, he's made up movies over years. He made The Gift, a generally really tense movie with the first terrifying, in a intentional way, Keanu Reeves performance. Obviously, Keanu Reeves would go back to that way with Neon Demon, where he is frigging incredibly terrifying. Sam Raimi also made Spider-Man trilogy, really good. Um, set bar from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. First time since the um, Superman movie where someone earnestly embraced the wit, the goofiness of comic books by portraying a generally good human being against superpowers. Well, good person after superpowers, even Superman is obviously an alien from outer space, raised human. And yes, I'm Raimi's director if you have bits and pieces. I'm I'm quite fond of Drag Me to Hair. I think that's really good. And there's a few other ones. I, they sort of slip my mind at the moment. But in generally, when you think of Sam Raimi, you think this is a guy who's a seriously good director who doesn't direct as much as he used to. But when he does, it's always worth noticing or it's worth its eating on. And this is one that kind of faded by wayside for me a bit because I'm not really into big fancy blockbusters. I, I generally find them rather dull. And I don't know, I, I, despite being Sam Raimi fanboy and wanting to see everything he makes, this one, like I said, slipped through the radar a bit. And to Disney Plus, that's the joy of Disney Plus. You get stuff like this, which is pitched to you and you go, yeah, I'll watch that. I don't have to pay for it. You know, past the paying for Disney Plus monthly or yearly, yearly in this case. And I watched it and I was surprised I didn't watch it in time because in every conceivable way, this is definitely a Sam Raimi movie. And also love letter to the original Wizard of Oz. I should point out this at this juncture, I'm not a super fan of the original Wizard of Oz. 
I don't hate it. I just don't have it listed up high as a classic of cinema. But that doesn't mean I don't respect it. doesn't mean I appreciate it. I just don't view it in quite the same way as a lot of people view it, I think. Same thing for Citizen Kane. But at the same time, I do appreciate the fact that Sam Raimi clearly loves moving. It's a little-known fact about Sam Raimi, I think most people probably aren't aware of. He loves old movies. He's really, really fascinated by it. And while this seems like departure in a lot of ways because he is known as a horror or action-y director, in other ways, this feels a very, very personal movie, Sam Raimi, which is quite cool. And he's paired with James Franco, who... Okay, everyone's heard the stories about James Franco. I'm not going to read, go in detail on them because he comes across as a bit of a shit head, to be honest. But he is also a generally really good actor. I think someone who would get away with a Sam Raimi because James Franco doesn't really necessarily seem to have... I, I don't know how I'd describe it. He's he's quite a fearless actor because he's he loves acting clearly and he loves doing these weird borderline idiosyncratic roles. In this movie he takes on the role of the titular wizard of Oz, the titular Oz of this title. But it's a very Jack Sparrow like performance because he's not the hero you expect him to be obviously if you've seen the original Wizard of Oz you know revealing that the wizard is actually a fraud but this movie they go one step further and show how he came to Oz and how exactly he's a fraud but also how exactly he's heroic and it's quite an interesting con- mix because it portrays him as kind of inept and in a very big trouble in Little China way you've got like his character who's the designate hero, therefore, this is actually more heroic. He seems to cause more problems than he solves. And slip round that is a really stunningly visual representation of what Oz, the Emerald City, and all that stuff looks like. And it's definitely something Sam Raimi's put a lot of work into. Normally, in these movies, you get something like Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, where it almost feels like a parody of director. The director doing a parody of the tropes and the symbolism and meaning they've conveyed visually throughout their careers. Whereas in this movie, Sam Raimi clearly just wants to make honour the original movie's version of Oz and at the same time put some weird shit in. It's Sam Raimi, so there's plenty of weird shit in the movie. And plenty of nightmare shit too. No one manages to come up with creatures that are deceptively simple in design but at the same time terrifying and also the portrayal of the wicked witch oh it's nightmare fuel inducing inducing which is because disney plus seems to have quite high frame rate so the movie's portrayed in a really gorgeous visual sort of aesthetic it looks amazing from my point exactly um and i don't know when it came out it came out quite a while ago because Sam Raimi takes a long time between movies but yeah it looks like a million butts uh, play flawlessly um, and after ended it started recommending Return to Oz they really really messed up looking 1980s kind of official sequel to Wizard of Oz which gave me Nightmare Fuel's kick because it's all advertising almost every goddamn movie with watch around my grandparents house 
and they always have those return vo- return doors, and there's always there's this creature that spins round and it's half slow where it's demolishing of creatures, and it's, I was always watching, and I was like, that's some messed up shit, you know, and it's really messed up, but same time, from the first thing I watched on Disney+, Plus, first thing in its entirety, I really enjoyed it, I would probably give it, like, three and a half, half five, um, maybe I'd need to rewatch a few more times and try to avoid almost falling asleep, um, but yeah, 3.5 out of 5, very, very entertaining, if you like Sam Raimi movies, you'll enjoy it, if you like weird blockbusters that probably didn't make the budget back, you'll definitely enjoy it. And just a quick bit about some other stuff I watched. I started watching Incredibles 2, but I almost fell asleep. I'm I'm not... I, look, I love Brad Bird's um, Mission Impossible movie, Ghost Broke. I think that's amazing. I can't get into anything else that guy makes. I really can't. I mean, I, I respect him. I think, you know, clearly anyone can make a damn fine Mission Impossible movie is a good director, but his stuff just doesn't really resonate with me. I... I Students this day have no interesting finishing rat interior. I thought that really, really um dull. But you know, down the line. Maybe I'll watch tomorrow long down the line. Um other stuff. I watched Encore, which was a um a very very me program. First one I watched first thing I started watching Disney Plus. Encore essentially is a bunch of people who were in high school and did musicals and then years later like, hey, we're gonna follow you old people and you're going to do a musical and old people look back on their glory years that's definitely quite an Ian thing to do but yeah I I can't dug that I watched a bit of it I didn't get too far because you know I didn't want that to be the first thing I finished on Disney Plus but it's pretty good so yeah um, that's the start of the Disney Plus adventures I'm sure I'll be back in a few seconds or whatever to talk about further stuff I watch tomorrow but for now, I'm going to take a bit of a break and watch some episodes of Lost. So, um, yep, I'll be back in just a second. It's time for Disney Plus Take 2. Take 2, of course, is going to encompass the particularly interesting and borderline surreal movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit, written direct by Robert Zemeckis, is a particularly fascinating piece of cinema because watching it is like having fever dream <laughs> it is a movie that i've had a sort of love-hate relationship with because well love maybe hates the wrong word because i don't think i've ever hated it but for a long time i didn't really get the appeal of it because you know it's so strange and so surreal and why i'm in strange and surreal cinema i always found it a little bit childish if that makes any sense and so first watching it i was like this is okay but it's not really as groundbreaking as they made it out to be and at the same time i don't know it's even watching it today it falls into that same category i put back to futuring whereby i like back to future i respect it i think the third one is really really good i think they're all great movies but i don't really have emotional attachment to them i think Amusingly, the reason I don't have an emotional attachment to them is because I watched them so often when I was a kid. I think they all blurred together. It's it's sort of similar to Star Wars, except Star Wars I managed to maintain that because when we watched them as kids, they were on every Christmas, so they felt like a real Christmas adventure, you know, more than anything. But even today, watching the original trilogy, I enjoy them, but I don't think I quite view them the same way a lot of people do, where they are almost transformative experiences for them. 
No. Weirdly, my most transformative experience Star Wars is probably The Phantom Menace, because that's the first one I saw in cinema. While well, it's not a great movie, it had the hype and everything, and it was a great experience watching in cinema. Anyway, enough about Star Wars. I'll get to Star Wars at some point, but right now we're going to talk about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's essentially, the best way to describe it is it's an detective story and that's where it half materialise and where the best parts of the movie lie in my opinion because Bob Hoskins is not playing this as comedy and in some ways that's a bit strange considering it's quite a slapstick movie but in other ways it goes back to what Michael Caine said about Muppet Christmas Carol I'm paraphrasing here in that he treated it like it was a real Shakespeare for performance and indeed it makes the movie better because he's not looking down at Muppets or treating it like silly Size of goofiness. No, he's taking it complete seriously and earnestly and in the process delivering a genuinely really good performance. Indeed, for my money, Michael Caine's version of Ebenezer Scrooge is one of the better versions of Ebenezer Scrooge, period. Not best, but one best. And same thing in this movie, Bob Hoskins is Eddie Valiant. He's playing it as straight as he possibly can, while also at the same time recognising the bizarre ways he finds safe into. But he, him playing the role of an alcoholic detective looking out to avenge his brother's death and emerge from Laboo's bottle that he found his life into, is actually really, really good. And wouldn't be out placing a Cagney movie from the 1930s. It's very, very, very tonally consistent with that. And you have to imagine Bob Hoskins use parts of his childhood I imagine the movies he grew up watching those sort of white noise white heat sort of style movies where they're very detective very Hollywood detective Bogart Bogartian imagine probably use those as inspirations this does feel like him going you know might never get be a lead actor in enough big budget Hollywood movies so much but enjoy it and at the same time put a lot of effort in and he does this is a fantastic performance by any reasonable metric and it's good because Robert Zemeckis here's my thing for Robert Zemeckis I think it's a really good director but at times I think he's more interested in some of the visual gimmicky aspects and the performances can suffer and I think for this movie what I really like is that Bob Hoskins anchors the whole thing because he is absolutely fearless in this movie taking on this character in his universe, especially considering he probably had no idea what he's actually interacting with large parts of this movie, but he's so seamless at making it feel like he is part of this big, wide, wacky universe. But when Bob Hoskins walks in Toontown, it doesn't feel like you're watching an actor reacting to stuff. It feels like you're watching a character interactive and being interactive you know, with the material around him. He doesn't feel like it's green screen. He feel, Bob Hoskins in the movie puts across the aesthetic that he is right in his time and place and that while your mind does sometimes go to the fact that it's not possible to be real, it works. It's, it's very much like Angry Circus in Lord of Rings where if the performance of Gollum doesn't work, then it, the movie falls down, the movie Two Tats falls down. He anchors it to a large degree. And same Bob Hoskins in this movie. He doesn't treat any of the tunes any differently to Haywood and steamed at the, you know, if he is working with Michael Caine or Rob De Niro, you expect a same sort of performance and indeed you get a really, really good performance. Not best of his career, but a very, very, very good performance by any reasonable metric. Here, of course, is the anchor to this universe, 
but Rob Zemeckis does get plenty of value of some of the weirder aspects of it, namely lots and lots of cameos and lots and lots and lots of really weird shit. Let's get out way right now. We're talking about the brilliance of how he managed to get so many characters from the Warm Brothers Looney Tunes stable from Disney. You know, you've got Dumbo, you've got Pinocchio, you've got Mickey Mouse and Rock, Mickey Mouse and both Bunny Show on the screen at the same time. You've got Daffy Duck and Donald Duck show on the screen at the same time. It's mind blowing. You you got Betty Boot for Christ's sake. You know, they really, really did a good job, but at the same time, they did a good job, but it feels like it's part of the universe. It's not just their fan service. It is fan service to an extent, but at the same time, it feels like it flows perfectly with what's going on in greater spectrum for the universe. This is Toontown, so it should feel like a real-life, you know, real-living place, and it really does. And at the same time, we get a few new, unique original characters we get the eponymous roger rabbit who i still think to this day is a bit of an annoying toss pot to be honest but that's part of this character you get jessica rabbit who is made brilliant mostly by voice of kathleen turner who has one of the best voices in the history of cinema in my opinion amazing actress too but her voice is fantastic the character Jessica Rabbit, I, I don't think it's quite as sort of like enticing as it was back then. And there are parts when you're looking, moving, thinking her spine would be broken in 17 different places if she was actually real. But it's got, it works to the effect of her being a femme fatale and then her awesome line from later in the movie saying, early issue movie even, saying she's not bad, she's just drawn that way. And you also get. The uh, Herman Baby, oh Christ, I watch a bunch of stuff with Herman Baby because he's such a weird character and I love the idea of this 50-year-old loose louse putting body of a little baby. It's, it's hilarious. It's actually a really, really good joke. But yeah, this movie is proper strange and if it's anchored by Bob Hoskins as the hero, it's also somewhat anchored by Christopher Lloyd as bad guy. Christopher Lloyd in recent years it feels like no one really knows what to do with him and has forgotten he's a great actor in his own right and he's not just Doc Brown and he's not just Uncle Fenster from Adam Family no he's a really good actor and he gets shot here by delivering a fucking chilling performance as Judge Doom really chilling and really brilliant because there's so many parts of the movie where you just get sense that he's deliberately contorting his body to make it seem like he's not even slightly human, you know. Even before they get to the one of the reveals later on, he's so creepy. His voice is just, his acting, his mannerisms, his, his just delivery of dialogue is all perfect. So if that's the case, what would I rank movie nowadays? I, I, I'd go 3.5 out of 5. No, no, 4 out of 5. I'd go 4 out of 5 because historically you need to rate it as a particularly great movie. It's groundbreaking in a lot of ways, but Rob Zemeckis never forgets and it needs to have a consistent story too. And he trusts Bob Hoskins to anger material. But I can't go for the full 5. The reason I can't go for full 5 is I feel like as good as it is, it is generally generally pretty good it doesn't quite go the distance for me it's it's 
really good, but there are times it feels like it's some of its parts. But at the same time, you have to appreciate the mountains they went through to make this movie in the first place. The fact that it's made at all is a crowning achievement in cinema because I can't imagine how difficult getting all those cameos approved was. You know, and I've heard stories and they had to make sure both Bunny and Mickey Mouse had the exact same number of frames and exact same lines of dialogue in terms of length, which is crazy, but at the same time, does make a lot of sense. I suppose at the same time, I don't, I don't think they badly. The effects still look really good. And that's obviously what they're going for. And it's much better than something like Space Jam, which basically just, you know, contingent on Michael Jordan somehow delivering lines like a human being, which is still a struggle in the actual movie. But yeah, four out of five, very, very entertaining, and a really good movie to watch on Disney Plus, because I'd never pay see I'd never pay individually to watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but something like Disney Plus it's a really, really cool idea. So yeah, that's Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And now the last part of this take two Disney Plus thing is going to be me talking about the X-Men Animated Series, which is amazing. I was watching episode one last night and I actually blacked out. I was having, I was so relaxed and I passed out and woke up and the next episode started. But, I mean, especially after the um, bitter tonic of the X-Men movie series petering out, it really did peak with Logan. Days of Future Past, the one, two, three punch of Days of Future Past, Deadpool and Logan, it should have ended there. Apocalypse and Fiend, Dark Phoenix were both enjoyable in their own ways, but, yeah, it really did peak earlier. And the Young Met series just enhances that fact because it is quite possibly the best adaptation of any comic book ever made. Obviously, stuff like Chris Nolan Batman, Christopher Reeve Superman, and some Marvel stuff, in terms of being an adaptation, is better. But joy of it, the X-Men animated series, is, it literally feels like it's ripped from comic books and put on screen with enough serialised elements, long-term storytelling, and some amazingly great characterization in the the version beast in x-men the 1990s fox animated series is the best version beast in any medium ever right down to the line this when he says a line disconcerting yet provocative is just the most perfect beastism ever so yeah i, I definitely recommend watching x-men young mate series on disney plus and Yep, so there you go. There's my takes on Disney Plus so far. Um, I know it's not really horror themes, but, you know, I I had Disney Plus this week and I'm so worn out of the planet and everything's going on and all the stress of work and I wanted to do something fun. And this was very fun. So I'll be back in a brief second to do the epilogue. <laughs> Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Friday Night Fright. It's been a joy to recap, joy to watch Disney Plus this week and a joy to have something take mind of all stress going on in my life because this job and all coronavirus bollocks and planet. Really appreciate the listening. I know no one has listened to these podcasts but it's, it's endlessly appreciated. Next week will probably be something more horror themed. I need to just figure out what it's going to be. It's been a manic few weeks. Um... But it's definitely going to be something cool. Um, maybe finally going back to Blair Witch 2 Book of Shadows. Who knows? But it would be something horror themed. I assure you, maybe might be some weird Disney Plus horror 
movie stuff. Or might be a show on a live watch. I don't know. That's a joy for listening to this podcast. Anyway, I'll see you guys next week. Next Tuesday for another Flash recappy show. You know, going have a bunch of episodes each week. So probably 6 to 10. Re- yeah, episode 6 to 10 of Flash recap aware Tuesday. And then when we get to season 1, I'll jump on season 2. But until then, remember, life is beautiful. Thank you.